from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. Hello, good, fine people from around the world. How are you? It is a great day to be alive, and I am so glad you are checking in to the Badass Counseling Show from folks as far away as Mississippi to Manitoba, the U.S. Virgin Islands to the territory of Guam, from Galway to Johannesburg, and Santa Monica to Sydney. It's great to have you tuning in to yet another lightning round of the Badass Counseling Show. I am joined in studio by KC over in the You Know What, and Rob the Rocket sitting right next to me. Rob, what's the good word? Word, my man i know what it's the booth it's the boot yeah the booth the boot yeah got the boot how are you today rob i'm doing fine you know something occurred to me we had that show last week with the religious themes ah yeah and something occurred to me one of the first prayers in the morning in the jewish service mm-hmm. weekdays it starts with um a my god but you can substitute any deity you like or mother nature or your parents whatever but then it says the soul you have given me is pure Mm. Just exactly what you say. You came out of the womb perfect. Beautiful. I love that prayer. I thought it was interesting. It occurred to me when we had that show. You came out of the womb perfect. It's funny. My father, who was a clergyman all those years, 67 whatever years, he used to say, God, don't make no junk. I like that. That too. I like that. Well, you have tuned in for a a lightning round of the Badass Counseling Show. So we're going to dive right in. We've got all the states in the U.S. represented. We've got as far away as Adelaide, and we've got London, and we've got Manitoba, and so forth. So let's get going here. The first question I got uh, was actually written in. Our producers go through some of the different um, social that I am on and uh, websites. You know, you can send in if you want to be on our counseling episodes to the production at Badass Counseling Show because we have the podcast counseling episodes where we air on Thursdays and then these lightning rounds come up on Sundays. And uh, so this was one of the questions that was sent in by Stefania. She says, I do have a question regarding something powerful I heard you say, which was, quote, tolerating someone who protects themselves at the expense of you, end quote. Tolerating someone who protects themselves at the expense of you, end quote. This is in regard to a person, Stefania writes, usually my teenager, who always says, quote, you're triggering me and I don't want to talk about it. Every time I have to address an accountability issue, what would be your response, Sven, in the moment? My usual go-to is, then when would be a good time? To which I could hear, I don't know, etc. Or I have to wait until the next time we're in the car together and I find a casual way to address it then. But that could leave me feeling uh, like shit for a week, and that sucks. What I would honestly recommend, you're dealing with your child. So obviously, sort of the rules are different there. Um, but you're basically saying what you seem to be saying is that your child, you are tolerating your daughter protecting herself at the expense of you. Now, it could be that your daughter doesn't feel safe expressing how she really feels around you. But what I would say in that moment, you're asking, what should I say in the moment when your uh, teenager says to you, you're triggering me and I don't want to talk about it? And then you say, well, when could we? Or to which you hear, I don't know. And what I would honestly do in that situation is say, listen, really in the end, and you can do it in the moment or you can bring it up anytime, whether you're in the car or whatever, but it is very reasonable to say to your teenager, listen, either you, we are going to talk about it, 
and let's put it on the schedule now, or you, we need to get you in talking with a therapist about it. Because it you don't just get to close down. Part of living in community is that it's not just about one person. It's not just you always getting your needs yet, yet uh, met. So I'm giving you the opportunity to tell me whatever it is that uh, I am doing or not doing that is triggering you, but we get to talk about it. I have every right to be, you know, to talk about it and, and hear, but also you have a responsibility. You are playing on a team and you say it's a teenager. So they need to begin to learn that being in quality relationships means answering for uh, your feelings. And you, but you say, listen, if you don't want to talk about it with me, that's okay. But this, these triggers need to be addressed. The things inside of you that are being triggered. And remember, emotional trauma is just as important as broken bones. Your child doesn't get a choice if they break a leg and they say, you know what, I really don't want to go see the doctor. I don't want to deal with modern medicine, resetting my bone and casting it. It's like, <laughs> that. that's cute, kid, but you're going. All right. And see, emotional trauma lasts longer than a broken leg. So you not insisting and sort of taking the reins and insisting that your, your child be in therapy, if they are flat out admitting that they are getting triggered, that they're saying, I have serious emotional shit inside of me such that I don't even want to talk about it ever. No, they need to. And they need to for their own long-term health. And it could be, you know, it could be they are working you on this one and just trying to make you feel bad. But take it at face value and and address it as if it is real and tell them we either need to talk about it or you need to be talking about it with a therapist because I am responsible for your long-term mental health and physical health and well-being and security. All right, next question. When can you see other people when you're in the middle of a divorce? Judy asked the question. When can you see other people when you're in the middle of a divorce? Um, well, let me ask you this. Have any parameters been put on the divorce? Have you discussed with each other, no, we are both going to agree to not see anyone else until the divorce is done? Because if you're saying you're in the middle of, of a divorce, in other words, you are both moving in that direction, I'm having trouble understanding why you wouldn't, if you want to see someone else, see someone else. I personally would recommend that you make sure you have done all the work on your own self that caused you to stay in a relationship that was un unhealthy or potentially get into a relationship um, that was unhealthy from the beginning, working on yourself. And I would recommend being alone for a while. But in terms of when it's okay to start dating, I don't understand why it's not okay to start dating when you feel like you want to start dating. Now, the other person may villainize you, they may not like it. They may, if they find out, if you choose to tell them, they may not appreciate that. But nonetheless, if you want to move on and start dating, the relationship's done, right? You've already both acknowledged that the relationship is toast. So move on with your life um, if that's what you want. But again, I recommend staying alone so that you can sort out your shit. Next question. Referring to the previous question I read uh, from Stefania, Lori asked the question, where did a teenager learn to say you're triggering me? Are you kidding? That's everywhere. That's everywhere. I mean, it's just the, the idea of triggers and narcissism and, and love bombing and all these words. They're such a part of common parlance. Kids are often more fluent in it than the adults are, much as kids are much more fluent in fixing my phone when it goes on the fritz. All right, next question. My girlfriend of six months keeps storming off and running out of my apartment at midnight. It seems that not wanting to engage is the theme of the night. Um... Your girlfriend of six months keeps storming off and running out of my apartment at midnight. I would love to ask you what you think is going on there. 
is she, she's going to turn into a pumpkin. <laughs> oh, that's what it is. I hadn't considered that. That's clever. Little uh, Cinderella reference there, right? What is that? Let me ask you, hey, have you asked her? I'm going to assume that you have actually brought it up either in the moment or later. Why the hell she keeps storm, storming off at midnight? Um, is it possible? I'm, I'm just going to raise questions and we're not having an interaction. So I'm just asking, but is it possible she has, she's leading a dual life? Why keep storming off? And you don't just say she leaves. She says, Hey, sweetheart, I got to go. But she storms off as if creating some sort of conflict to justify her leaving. The question is, A, what's the essence of the conflict? But I'm not sure that's the real issue. The real issue is, why is she wanting to leave? And I'm just wondering if she's in a relationship with someone else. I'm wondering if, you know, does she live with her parents and they want her back by a certain time? But the mere fact that she's storming off and running out of your apartment and it's consistent, I mean, I can't ask you, but are you consistently doing something to anger her? I mean, that's a possibility. But otherwise, I'd say there's some other deeper shit going on. In all honesty, just flat out fucking ask her. Just ask her. And she's either going to say the derivative of one of two things. Either A, sweetheart, this is what it is. This is what's going on inside of me. Let's talk about it. Or she's going to say, nothing. It's your problem, blah, 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 blah. And you know what your response, at least inside your head, is in either case? If she says, sweetheart, here's what it is. Let's talk it out. Or if she says, no, nothing's wrong, fuck you, you're the problem, or something like that, in either case, your response should be, would be, thank you. You've just shown me who you are. And that's the beauty of putting our truth out there. I don't like you storming off at midnight. This is, I don't understand why it's happening constantly, and I want to understand, help me understand. And if they try to push it back on you, they're showing you who they are. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to be responsible. Or if they say, you're right, we should talk about it, you you should be like, holy shit, I got someone who actually wants to talk out our problems. Thank you. You just showed me who you are. I like a person who wants to talk shit out. But you have to have the courage to put it out there. And then you have to have the courage to be strong when she likely blows it off. Because if she's storming out and running out of your apartment at midnight consistently, this is likely not a person who wants to talk about problems. Next question. Uh-huh. I got into an argument eight months ago with quote unquote friends. They still mean, they're still mean to me to this day. What's that about for them? Um, well, let's just assume you hurt their feelings and they're still feeling hurt, yet they're kind of childish enough that they don't want to talk about it. Have you attempted to talk about it? If you hurt them, did you apologize for hurting them? Maybe you didn't hurt them and they're just leveraging the fact that you miss them as a way to get you to sort of acquiesce. Uh, let me. So what's going on is either A, you really did hurt them and you need to apologize, or you didn't hurt them, or you did apologize, and they're just being dicks. Some people like to have power over someone. Some people like to be mean to other people as a way to sort of assert their own power, and that could be what's going on. Um, but I would honestly, I'd just bring it up to them and say, listen, what's going on? I miss you guys and I'd like a relationship. And if they're still dicks about it, or if they say, well, you hurt my feelings with X, Y, and Z, then apologize for X, Y, and Z. Okay. And then if they still don't want to have a relationship, now they're just being dicks. And now you got to ask yourself, do I really want to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't accept an apology? Probably not. Next question. Or who doesn't own their shit? Uh, probably not. Um, how do you teach young kids when it's okay to express their emotion and when it's not, like oversharing? That you're equating expressing emotions with oversharing. Um, it's really, in a way, the message you want to teach your children is that it's always okay to, your feelings are always welcome. However, when, to your point, when you express them, when you allow them to come out, 
um, is it does make a difference. We're tracking so far, yes. How do you teach them that? You tell them. And you tell them your feelings are welcome. And that always has to be the message. That always has to be the message. However, there are some times that are better than other times for letting it out, okay? If you're in the middle of class at school and you're feeling really, really, really sad because, you know, daddy went on a business trip and he's going to be gone for five days and you miss him, those feelings of missing daddy while he's on the business trip are absolutely valid. They are completely welcome. But allowing those to overwhelm you in the middle of class at school, why not let's do it at home beforehand? Or if you need to do it out on the playground midway through the day, let some of that out. That's great. Or at the end of the day, for sure, when you come home, let's talk about all your feelings, sweetheart. Okay. But it's teaching the child that the feelings are simultaneously welcome. But then there there are times when sometimes we just hold on to it and we come back to it later. And that's an effective tool to use. Because you're still teaching the child it's important to let those feelings out. But later, you know, when you, the truth is you're going to be going through a divorce someday or you're going to be dealing with the death of a parent someday, but you still got bills to pay and you have to go to work. You have to go to work. And so the message we want to teach the child is that your feelings are good. Expressing the feelings is wonderful. Just that we can hold on to it for a bit and let it out later. But the letting it out later needs to be emphasized. We don't just hold it in, hold it in, hold it in, hold it in. That it, or even preventative, you know, let it out in advance and think about it in advance. And if the child is old enough, 10, 12 years old, get the child to start journaling. Get the child to start writing out their feelings because then it is something they can do when they're in school, maybe in study hall at school or uh, if they're done with their work early. They can write about how they're feeling about daddy being gone on business, that sort of thing. But they, they have to get the message that their feelings are welcome, their feelings are good, okay? And you said, now, what about oversharing? Oversharing with you? Is it possible for a young child to overshare their feelings to their own parent? I'm gonna assume you don't mean to you. So then I'm just curious, who do you think your child, you didn't talk about timing per se, you brought up the question of when, but then you ended on oversharing, which isn't a timing issue per se, it's a who you're doing it with you, who you're doing it with, the sharing of your feelings. And I'm just wondering, who is your child sharing feelings with that you don't want them sharing feelings with, or you get uncomfortable, or you feel it's inappropriate? Um, and you can talk about that, that it's good to... Um, you know, share your feelings always on your own and, and with us, your parents and people that you love and trust. But it also means um, making room for other people uh, to have their feelings and and some people just can't handle our feelings or, or whatever. And that's okay too. But it's teaching the child that you are always there to listen and to hear their feelings. And if you're not able to hear your child's feelings, you got some work inside of yourself that you need to do. And I'm not saying that scoldingly. I'm just saying, wow, that's a good indicator. If I can't handle a young child's feelings, I clearly have some stuff I need to work on inside of myself. All right, next question. Carla asked the question, if someone is using alimony to continue financially abusing you, how would you suggest dealing with the situation through the law? I would recommend through the law. Because if somebody's abusing you, you use the word financial abuse, okay? If someone's abusing you, boy, you got to draw hard boundaries. And if you can use the law to help uh, reinforce those boundaries, you have to do it. You have to protect yourself. You have to be a priority. And don't back down. What someone, 
And I see financial abuse happening to a lot of my clients and some of my clients actually try to do it and we have to have some hard discussions. But very often when someone is abusing another person, in the case of financial abuse especially, is they'll peck, 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 peck away. They'll just keep pecking. They'll just grind you down. Very often with financial abuse, they're trying to grind you down. Don't let them grind you down. Don't stand, hold your boundaries while simultaneously pulling out all of your feelings inside through your journaling, through writing letters that you don't send. But you have to be doing the work of getting out all your feelings of frustration, of guilt, of sadness, of anger, flushing all of those out because it's going to be your feelings that cause you to do something against your own best interest. It's going to be your negative feelings of feeling worn down, feeling exhausted because they're pecking, they're hurting you, they're hurting you, they're hurting you, they're attacking your money, they're coming at you from all angles. And it's going to be your feelings that cause you to act in some way other than what you know you want. That's why we always flush out our feelings. I, a buddy of mine, um, he lives on the other side of the country and he recently uh, agreed to run for uh, you know his city council. And he, he part of him didn't want to. Uh, but uh, he decided to do it in, in part because, you know, he was uh, being hectored and heckled and so on and so forth. And he just got mad. And he asked me to call, talk to him and sort it out. And I said, are all your feelings out of the way? And he said, no, I'm, they aren't. I'm making this decision based on feelings. I said, well, as long as you're okay with that, but you may regret that one later. Um, and maybe not. But are you making your decisions based on uh, all the negative feelings that you're experiencing, or can you flush those feelings out and make your decisions from a place of center? That's the real question. When you're feeling centered rather than just driven by anger or sadness or fear, fear is the big one, or frustration or what have you. Um, all right, what is the best way to unlock blocked out memories for therapy? Best way to unlock blocked out memories is to start with non-blocked out memories. Start with feelings that you already know you feel. Your brain has blocked it out because it's too big. It's too painful more often than not. So start with the feelings that you know you feel. What happened yesterday when somebody pissed you off in the grocery store um, parking lot? Or when your coworker was talking behind your back and you felt mad? Tell me the last feeling in the last 24 hours, in the last week that you felt. Tell me what it is. And that is what you should begin writing about. That is what you should begin journaling about. Write a letter to that coworker, letter you don't send, and flush out your feelings. In other words, start getting reps, repetitions we talk about in sports, reps. Start getting reps of bringing out feelings because what you're conveying to your soul is, this is important to me, and I'm gonna start with the small ones. I'm gonna start pulling out the small feelings that I stuffed down yesterday or last week when the coworker said that. I'm gonna start getting adept at feeling that feeling of frustration when the coworker said it or hurt. Getting used to them when they're small, right? And flushing them out and learning how to write it out. And well, what did I really feel? Why did I feel that? Well, why in this case, but not in the case when somebody said something different, uh, similar a month ago? Oh, it's because of who the person said. Well, why am I so mad at this person? Because they keep doing this shit. That's why I'm really pissed off. All right, going into the feeling. And the more you can do it on these small ones that happened recently and the medium ones that happened recently, guess what you're doing? You're getting stronger. It's just like going into the gym. You want to get stronger? What do you have to do? Add weight. You can't just keep increasing your reps. You're not getting stronger. You're just building up endurance. No, you add a little more weight. My my lifters, back when I was an NCAA strength coach, they would always hear me bellow across the room, constantly acclimating to higher weight, constantly acclimating to higher weight, all right? And that's what you gotta do here. 
You start small and then you're going to get good at it. Then you're going to be less, as you do more of the small stuff, you're going to be less intimidated by the medium things. And you're going to take on more of the medium feelings and medium thoughts that are emotionally charged or some of the memories from three months ago when your mother-in-law was very rude, but you didn't want to lash back because you didn't want to create a family argument. It's like, I'm really hurt by what she said. And you know what? Honestly, I'm disappointed. I, I thought more of her. I thought she was more, you know, I don't know, but I'm also pissed. All right, so now you're handling some medium memories and the more you get better at those, you'll be able to tax some of the larger memories like two years ago when your best friend told you to fuck off and hasn't had any contact with you since and how much that hurt. Okay, now you're getting really good at it and your soul is gonna keep sending up memories from the vault that have emotional charges, smaller ones and bigger ones. And the more you make room for all of these sources of pain, the more you're gonna have dreams in which you have a memory that you had forgotten about. The more you're gonna be going to the bathroom in the middle of the night and holy shit, you're gonna have a memory with an emotional charge from your childhood. The more you're gonna be driving to work, just drinking your coffee and on the drive to work and like, bam! That one memory from when you were eight, holy crap! And it's gonna be right there. And the feeling is going to be with it. And you're going to be so adept already at allowing, allowing those feelings to come up. You're going to know what to do. And maybe it's so big, you actually pull your car over into a parking lot of a church on the way to, on the way to work. And you pull out your pad of paper because now you keep a pad of paper in your purse or, you know, in your car or whatever. Or you pull out a napkin from your McDonald's from two nights ago and you start journaling. Holy crap. I remember this is what happened. And then mom did this and then dad said that and that, that, that oh man. And then maybe you'll start bawling. Oh my fucking God, this hurts so bad. Okay, now you're in the big stuff. But guess what? You're fully prepared because you've been taking the reps. You've been taking the at-bats and you're ready for it. The way you unlock trauma and blocked out memories is start with the memories and the pain and the fears that you have. Because remember, the child or the adult blocks out memories because of the pain and we block it out for fear of feeling that pain. So it's fear and it's pain. So if you get more, less fearful of pain by addressing the, the pains, the angers, the hurts that you feel right now, you'll be more adept when your soul finally says, all right, we're sending up some big ones now from the vault, you'll be ready. And then eventually you'll get in such a groove, it's like, all right, man, what's next? Come on, I'm ready. Because you feel yourself healing and you feel yourself getting lighter. I had a client just today, client just today at the end of it, he's like, God, I feel good. I just like feel this burst of energy. And this is the same client who was thanking me today. He said, Sven, thank you for the tip of doing my journaling while I'm working out in between sets. He said, that is the greatest thing. I've been, unable, I've been able to unlock so much shit from my childhood, so much anger and some, from some stuff in my career. He's like, it's just the greatest because I'm able to put it in the words and flush it out like you say. But then that emotional, the physical feelings that come with it, man, I just bang on squats and I'm just killing it on, you know, military press or whatever it might be. He's like, I love journaling between, all right, so there's the physical release, there's the mental release, but dudes, guys, fuck, it's the journaling, man, get after it. All righty, and Lori asked the logical follow-up to that question, the last one I addressed, what if you don't block them? How do you get over it? The same way you do if you block them, you go into it. You allow those feelings to come up and you start pen and paper, journaling, writing letters you don't send, every single memory that you have, every single memory that you have that has an emotional charge attached to it. You remember that memory and you begin to name. So you bullet point all the memories that you have from your past that you sense have any sort of emotional charge, angry, sad, mad, betrayed, frustrated, disappointed. And you 
bullet point all those memories. And then next to that bullet point, you write all the different feelings that you feel regarding that memory. And you start journaling about those. Or some of the other tools I teach in my book, there's a hole in my love cup. Um, one of the tools, one of the books that I recommend is called the Sedona Method. And not my book, not my method, but I recommend it because it sort of accelerates that. It has the same effect as journaling, um, but it actually moves very, very quickly. My book is good for helping you identify the roots of the problem. That particular, and particularly the BS beliefs that you've been taught about yourself, but the Sedona method is like journaling. Once you've identified it, it helps you accelerate the release of those feelings. So when you ask the question, what if you don't block those memories that have the emotional charges? How do you get over it? You get over it by going into it and allowing those feelings up and decharging them by journaling, by the Sedona method, by the accepting technique that's taught by Doreen Banizak in her book, Excuse Me, Your Life Is Now. There are all sorts of different techniques. And there are a few that I swear by because I use them in my own life. And journaling and writing letters that you don't send are two that I use frequently, as is Sedona Method, as is the accepting technique. Those are a few that I believe in. You know what? There's going to be much more to come right after this short break. Hi, this is KC. There's an update from the Badass Counseling Desk. The audiobook version of the book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup, is now available exclusively only at badasscounseling.com. My best friend made me listen to some podcast, said it had blown her away. So we listened to a lightning round of the Badass Counseling Show together. All I can say is, wow, first podcast I had ever listened to. Now it's my addiction. If you haven't done it yet, you need to subscribe to the Badass Counseling Show. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. And we are back with the lightning round of the Badass Counseling Show. Good to have you back. We are live and taking listener questions. And you guys have got some good ones. This is great. You got me bouncing all around. We're playing a little slump the teacher. All right. Andy, want to clear, I want you to clarify your question. You asked the question, what are your thoughts on shadow journaling? I'm going to assume you mean journaling about um, your shadow and and the sides of you that you do not like, have not fully integrated, such as you know, um, you know, all your pain, all your fear, all your whatever. I'm about. I am as uh, Farmer Bean comments after that uh, says Andy journaling is journaling. It is all shadow um, and puts an X on it. X's kiss O's are hugs, right? Right, and gives you a big kiss. So that was nice, Farmer Bean. Um, Valerie Page says. Rob, exclamation points. The rocket, exclamation points. I swear to God, it's right here, Rob. I'm loving this. Right? Rob's getting some love. Uh, all right, here's one of my favorite questions that I get from people in the industry, and it is from Ruby. She asked the question, I'm studying counseling. What advice do you have that would help, please? And she has good manners. Manners matter to me, as my children know. It's a neurosis of mine. I'm studying counseling. What advice do you have that would help? I'll tell you a bunch, but the single biggest thing that is going to make you either extraordinarily an extraordinarily effective counselor or a good counselor. The difference between the best and the highly effective and the ones that get results versus the ones that are good or maybe not even good is have you healed yourself? All of your best knowledge 
all of your best tools, all of your courage, and believe me, counseling takes courage. Great counseling takes courage. All of that will come from whether or not you have done and continue to persist in going into your love cup and pulling out all of the pain, the fears, and the bullshit beliefs you were taught about yourself. Nothing, nothing will transform your counseling as a therapist, Ruby, more than that. And you know why counseling takes courage? You have to have courage to look someone in the face and ask them the question that seems asinine to ask them to, or to ask them a, a question out of just out, weird curiosity. I had one of those today in a session with a client where I, I had to ask this really strange question. I said in advance, listen, this is a fucked up question. This is a Sven question. I know you're gonna think I'm an absolute bigger idiot than you already know I am. But I had to ask it. And that one today didn't lead anywhere. It didn't bear fruit. But about 99, 95% of the time when I ask, one of those just born of my own curiosity, it leads to something new, but it takes courage, willingness to fail. It takes courage to look a client in the face and say, you're hurting this person flat out. You, you are acting like, I'm not saying you're a bad person, you are acting very hurtfully towards this other person. It takes courage to love someone who's done hard stuff, bad stuff, to find the good in them and focus on the good and do everything in your power to release that. And what brings that courage, what brings your power, what brings your insight, what brings your ability to connect with another person when they're going through something difficult is that you have danced with your own devils. You have wrestled with your own angels. That you have done your own healing work. There's nothing that will make you a better therapist than that. Nothing, ever. No tool, no fucking knowledge, no other experience other than healing your own shit. And it's an ongoing process, but let me tell you, you do reach a point where you've covered the, the majors and the mediums. Then you're just dealing with you know normal cleanup inside your love cup. But you do that healing and you will do infinitely more than I've ever done. Trust me on that one. Um, all right, so that's that answer. All right, next question. What have we got? Pe people, people, people. All right. Been in counseling for a year and feel stuck. Yeah, that's to some degree it's part of any counseling process. But usually, if someone's feeling feeling stuck, it's because you need to go to the next level deeper, and or there is something in front of you that whether you can articulate it or not, there's something in front of you that you're afraid of. So my question to you would be: What is it you're most afraid of right now in your counseling in your life? What is it you're most afraid of? And if you can name that, boom, you're already well on your way to the, your next 20 pages of journaling because that's what's blocking you. It's almost always fear at some level. Um, how can I stop lashing out when I'm going through stress? You're lashing out because you've got so much other pain inside of you. You've got so much other anger, so much other rage, so much other sadness, melancholy, frustration, blues, betrayal. You've got all that in. And so when one drop of stress drops into your love cup, I see this a lot with guys, especially. It's not exclusive to guys, but that, and and we've had people on the show before, Rob. You remember that fella? Oh gosh, it was probably last October. He was one of our earliest guests, a young fella. And he said, you know, Sven, since I've been reading your book and doing the exercises, my first response isn't anger anymore. I recall that. Yeah, yeah. Good for him. Yeah, and I, I think he was a Canadian fella. Um, I don't know why I remember that. I just do. I don't know. I like it. I just do. Well, I don't know what song that is. Anyway, um, yeah, it's because you got so much shit inside of you. 
So what that means, Brandon, is you have to go inside and start flushing all that shit out. And the more you do it, and that's, like I said, that's this podcast is for. That's what my 800 plus free videos on social media, all the social media are for. That's what the, my book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup is for. And the do-it-yourself video courses, it's all for this. To begin to flush out the fear and the pains, but also to identify and flush out the bullshit beliefs you've been taught about yourself. Because that is what's causing you to reflex with anger. And let me tell you, if you don't do this shit, Brandon, and you don't have to, I don't give a fuck, it's your life, live it your way. If you don't, the fact that you're identifying it now, and you realize, cripes, I'm always responding. I'm always lashing out when I get anger. Dude, if you don't fix this shit, you are going to destroy so much shit around you more shit than you've already destroyed. I'm betting it's affecting your relationships. Because if you're in a relationship, an intimate relationship, whether it's a friendship or a sibling or a parent-child or a lover, especially, or especially if, you're, you know, if you're the parent, but especially with a lover, if you are in a relationship with a lover who's constantly lashing out, that shit will wear you down and that gets old and your lover will leave you. And that is fucking, in my book, that's justifiable. If someone's always lashing out, it's like, fuck, man. You're a fucking drag and you're hurtful. It gets old. So Brandon, you gotta fix that shit. And the way you fix that shit is by doing this, this flushing work that I'm talking about. And that requires going into the childhood and identifying uh, the pains and those messages and where they came from and so forth. Rob, you got something to say? You were thinking of, uh, I don't know why I love you, but I do mm -hmm. by Clarence Frogman Henry. I thought it was by, I thought a woman sings that song. Um, not if it's the one I'm like thinking it. of. Unless the one I'm thinking of is a cover of Clarence Frogman Henry. Clarence, who the hell is Clarence Frogman Henry? You're you, just making that shit you'd, up. You'd have to be of a certain age to remember. Or be someone who loves the classics. And what was Clarence Frogman Henry's uh, biggest hit? That was it. I don't know. Why, what, is that the name of the song? But I Do. Oh, But I Do. Wow. Wow. Now I know. All right. I like that. Total. Pull that one out of your ass. And that's why I love having you on the show, Rob, having you running my show, because you're more interesting than I am. Useful stuff, Sven. Useful stuff. All right. Uh, Laura asked the question, how do I deal with a mid-20s daughter who lashes out and only lashes out? We sort of addressed this earlier in the very first question I addressed, but um, you, ha you have every right, especially in mid-20s, you have every right to stand your ground. And to, I would actually talk to your daughter and ask to talk this out in a calm moment, not in the middle of when she's lashing out. But unfortunately, if she persists, if you're open to hearing what she's upset about, whether it's upset with you or upset about with someone else, if you are creating an environment where she feels comfortable talking about her problems, particularly her issues she may have with you, then you're creating a welcoming environment for her feelings. And that's important. And if she doesn't take that, or if she's not addressing it in her counseling with her therapist or her clergyman or whoever she speaks with, clergy person, um, then she's not sorting out her problem. She's not working on the roots of the problem. She's just using you as a shit stick. And that's not okay. And you have every right to stand up for yourself and to distance yourself from your daughter in her 20s, in your, her mid-20s. You have every right to do that to protect yourself. Assuming you are giving her the opportunity and you are open to listening if you have hurt her and you're gonna own that shit if and when she does or if and when she has, then you've done everything to attempt to resolve the issue. You have every right to stand up for yourself and not allow someone to lash out at you and hurt you. And if you have to create some distance, unfortunately you may need to do that while simultaneously conveying, when you are ready to talk about this, I'm ready to listen. But then you have to listen, not just defend yourself, okay? All right, next question. 
There are no male mental health experts who I have found to be relatable aside from you. That's interesting. Um, there are other great ones out there far better than me. Um, I know that. And uh, there are plenty of great male ones and female ones. And But I'm sorry that you haven't found one. That sucks. Um, but there are a lot of great female ones then. Go with a female one. We sometimes think we want X and then we get Y and we discover at some point into it, wow, Y is pretty darn good. That works. But you got to listen to your own voice. And if you got to have a male, go with a male. But I, I hear your compliment and I thank you for that. That's very gracious. All right. Um, Movement Muse, it seems, is attempting to find my book and a few others are. The book is, you can get my book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup at badasscounseling.com. It is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook. However, you can get the paperback and the ebook elsewhere. You cannot get the audiobook elsewhere. The audiobook is only available on the Badass Counseling website. Next question What have you got for me, fine humans? Hey, bro, do you see new clients? My answer, Glazer, is yes, I do. I'm always taking new clients. Badasscounseling.com, read the counseling page. Do not go to Badass Counseling if you want counseling and just go immediately to the contact page because my assistant will send you right back to the counseling page where all the information is. Talon asked the question, how do you call into your podcast? If you want to be a guest on the show for counseling, because on Sundays, these lightning rounds uh, air, and uh, but on Thursdays are episodes where I've actually counseled one or two people on the show. If you want to be on To Be Counseled, please write in to production at badasscounseling.com. That is production at badasscounseling.com. And my producers go through and they find, and just leave one paragraph of what your issue is. Don't leave more than a paragraph because a lot of times they just don't even read through those because it's just too much. And they have to edit so much of it down. Just one paragraph and uh, they go through and decide who they want to counsel with me on the show. Here we go. I'm insecure in all ways after my ex left for a mistress. How do I stop comparing myself to her as a mom? Rob, I'm uh, struggling with the question. I'm insecure in all ways after my ex left for a mistress. Totally get that. That makes total sense. He chose someone over you or your ex, or if it was a woman, she chose someone over you. A mistress, which implies uh, your ex was cheating when you were together. And the underlying message is, you're not good enough for me anymore. I don't like you anymore. I like this person. So naturally the brain goes to, well, what's wrong with me? But then you state, how do I stop comparing myself to her as a mom? It looks like the new girlfriend is parenting the child. Oh, wow. Okay, so, okay. How do I stop comparing myself to her as a mom? Which implies you feel sort of intimidated by her as a mom or she does a good job as a mom because if you were fearful of her momming your kids, you wouldn't be comparing yourself per se. You would be angry and fearful and protective and not wanting him to expose your kids to her. But you're saying you compare yourself to her as a mom. Rob? I think that's right. She's feeling competitive. You're feeling competitive, right. And this is very common. Um, and I do see it a lot among women. And it's not so that I don't see it among men, but where the ex has someone else and you get mad and you don't want that person to be the stepmom. You don't want, and the question I would ask you is if we're in counseling is, is it possible that you don't want your kids to show love to any woman except you? I was in a long-term relationship where I experienced something like that. And I see it a lot. 
And so what happens then is a, grow, a growing bitterness happens and you create a rift in the family before the family is really ever even off its feet, the new iteration of the family. And you grow anger at the family. But the bottom line is this, people, if you have kids and you get a divorce, you need to assume there is going to be another person of your gender parenting your kids at least part of the time. It's going to happen in all likelihood. Your ex is going to remarry or your ex is going to have a relationship that they'll want to introduce your kids to. And guess what? You're likely going to have a relationship that at some point down the road you want to introduce your children to. So you can attempt to short circuit your ex's relation, your ex's new spouse, lover, short circuit their relationship with your kids. But I'm just wondering, are you doing it for you or are you doing it because you honestly believe this person genuinely in a calm moment is like bad for your kids? Even if you think that, short of them abusing your children, you don't get a fucking say in it. Your spouse has every right, unless the law has said otherwise, unless that person that your spouse is introducing to your children is abusing your children or doing drugs right in front of them or something along those lines, you don't really get to say who they introduce to your children. And, unfor and I hope that parents are exercising significant discretion in who and when they introduce their children to so that it's not sort of a revolving door or they're not doing it too early in a relationship because the children will latch on or the children will become bitter and so on and so forth. It's good to just take your time. There's no rush. But technically, you don't get a say and maybe this is more about what's going on inside of you than what's going on or in the best interest in all your, uh, for your kids. And you say, I'm insecure in all ways. How do I stop comparing myself? So to your credit, you're acknowledging that it is what's going on inside of you. And so how do I stop comparing? You stop the action by going into the feelings, going into your feelings of insecurity, going into your feelings of comparing and feeling inadequate or anger or jealousy, going into it, allowing all those feelings to come up and expressing them, pushing them out, talking about them with your therapist, talking about them with your journal, talking about them with your friends, writing them out, writing letters to your children, writing letters to your ex uh, that you don't send, all of this to allow those feelings. And the more we then attempt to find the roots of those feelings, where did your feelings of insecurity whether as a parent or in general, where did they begin? Where were you first taught that you're not good enough or you're no good or taught to doubt yourself? Because that's the root of the insecurities you're feeling now. And that's the stuff that has to be found and brought out. All right, who is Sven for you, Sven? Um, so who's the person that answers my questions, et cetera, et cetera. Um, all honesty, um, I have... Uh, I consult my girlfriend on stuff just when I'm wrestling with something, but now and then. But the bottom line is I've done all this work over many decades. I started my deliberate sort of soul journey when I was 19, even though I'd grown up in a very spiritual home in a good way, and uh, did the work of cleaning out the crud out of my cup over the next couple of decades and reading and reading thousand books or more in all of the fields related to this stuff and develop my own method and so forth. So I have the tools that I just use on myself. To be very, very honest with you, I clean out the crud. I'm constantly purging out feelings that I feel that might be hindering my ability to hear my own center. But I have issues that come up with me at death. Both my parents died in the last three, four years. Granted, they were in the 90s, so we've seen, we saw it coming. And, you know, so I have those issues. I have regular relationship issues. I have insecurities uh, regarding my work. 
um, insecurities regarding my own children, you know, um, and fears and so forth. And I have to go inside of myself and identify what those are. So for one of them with regard to my work is control. And not, oh, I'm not the person who needs control every detail. It's quite the opposite. Uh, for instance, in the running of this podcast, I let Rob make a ton of decisions. I encourage it because he's smarter than me in a lot of stuff. And his creativity is just incredible. But control of being able to control the future when you're self-employed, anybody who's ever run their own business, you, you don't control. You know, our number's gonna be up this week. Our number's gonna be down next month. And controlling the message, you know, am I really helping people? And, you know, and there's just so much. So I'm actually always dealing with my stuff. But because I've been doing this shit so long, I can identify my own issues. I know what I need to do when I identify them. So it's kind of like, you know, somebody who's been under the hood of Ford cars their whole life knows Ford cars in and out. And, and you know, and all people bring their Fords to them. Or maybe it's they, and, you know, he also works on, or she also works on Maserati, specializes in Maseratis, whatever. Been doing it for 30 years. Well, who does that woman who's been specializing in those cars her whole life, who does she bring her Maserati to? Well, probably no one. She probably does the work herself. Rob? Well, in my experience, most counselors, most therapists have uh, their own counselors or therapists. Yeah, they do. And a lot of clergy. Back when I was clergy, a lot of clergy did. And because my father had been a pastor and my mother had been this longtime spiritual leader, um, you know, I would go to them at times. I don't know. I just, if I'm really just being honest with you, because I've been practicing these tools my whole life, there's really even amid death and loss and divorces and so forth, there's just really nothing at this point that I haven't dealt with before and I have the tools in place. And so um, occasionally I'll talk, like I said, I'll talk some stuff out with my girlfriend because I really trust her. We've been together 10 years and she's deep and she has a good heart. And, uh, but otherwise it's just, I just kind of trust the voice of the, of, of God or the gods or universe speaking from inside of me. And I know how to connect to that. Go ahead, Rob. What you're saying is Sven is your Sven. Yeah, I guess, I guess. Um, you know, with the occasional time when I'm just not seeing clearly, but uh, generally, yeah, just because I use these tools, that's how I know these tools work. Cause I've gotten to the point where I can hear my own voice and I know what's going wrong when I can't hear my own voice. And I know what I need to do to pull out all the other shit, the highly charged emotions so that I can go back to hearing the voice of the universe speaking, resonating inside of me, like a, like a string deep inside a concert grand piano. All right. Next question. Dustin asked the question, how do I get over a son's estrangement with no reasons given of why and using grandkids away from us? That's a hard one. I'm so sorry that your adult child doesn't want a relationship with you and is uh, keeping the grandkids away. Um, what I would honestly recommend, you ask how to get over it. Well, it's like getting over a lover, getting over um, losing a job. You have to allow all of your feelings to come up, all of them on your own, whether with your therapist or on your own, in your journaling or whatever, and you need to allow those up, I would strongly recommend writing letters to your son that you don't send, flushing out all your feelings, the hatred, the anger, the sadness, the frustration, the disappointment. But what I would also recommend in this case, Dustin, and maybe you've already done this or maybe it's a non-issue, but I'm gonna put it out there. And that is, I would strongly recommend you go to your son or send him a letter at some point. And, but before you do that, a letter that you actually do send, but before you do that, I would recommend that you take six months, whatever, three months, and begin to write out all the ways that you know you hurt your son, all the ways that you know you let him down from when he was born to the present. 
and all the ways that you might have hurt him, write those down. All the ones, and this means you getting in touch with your feelings. Where do I feel where I know I hurt him? And write all those down, list them all, and begin to journal about those and begin to uh, flush it all out, all your feelings and your guilt and your sadness. And if you can't list any ways that you hurt your kid, you're not being honest. There's not a parent alive who hasn't hurt their kid. And you need to flush out those feelings. And then what you do is you send a letter to your child, or if they'll talk in person, do it there or by phone, whatever, and lay out, I know that I hurt you in A, B, C, D, E, F, G ways, X, Y, Z, all these different ways. And I'm sorry. And if you never want to forgive me, if you never want to repair the breach in our relationship, I understand. In other words, you're apologizing not to get something, but to give something. And that is acknowledgement of the pain that you have caused. And this is true in cheating. This is, in true, this is true in parenting. This is true in how you treated some other friend, etc. cetera. Um, and then he may not respond. He may want to respond. But then you have to continue the work of letting go of your shit letting go of your pain and your loss over your kids and your grandkids and so forth. I'm willing to bet that if he's cut himself off from you and cut you off from your grandkids, he's hurt and angry at you probably for the past. And I, I'm sorry to say it, but I'm, that would be my bet. If we were in session together, that's where I would be digging around. And the more you attempt to own that without wanting anything in return and without deflecting, dodging, denying, and without saying, well, I did my best or without trying to make it go away, but just owning it, the more you do that, that really is the only shot you have of a relationship with your son. Otherwise, it's you wanting something from him. And that is access to your grandkids or wanting him to keep giving you love or hanging around you or whatever. Um, but when we own our shit without any expectation of anything in return, the other person knows it's authentic. When the only reason I'm doing it is because I wronged you and that's fucking wrong. And I want you to know that I own it. And I shouldn't have done it. And there's no acceptance. There's no uh, excuse for that then the person knows we're real. And you may not get that relationship back. And you need to accept that. And with no expectations. And if you do that, then you've done the right thing. And you've helped your son heal. And that's the real goal. Because let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. If you could choose with your adult son, if you could choose between him healing, but you not getting a relationship with him, or you getting a relationship with your son, but him never healing from the wounds you caused, which would you choose? Because if you would choose to get the relationship at the expense of his healing, then you're doing it for you. Then it is fundamentally a selfish act. But if you want your child to be healed, even if it means I don't get a relationship with him, then now we're operating from a place of good faith, goodwill, and love. And that's what great relationships are built on. All right. I keep wanting to leave my jobs after three months. What could cause that? I keep wanting to leave my jobs after three months. What could cause that? I don't know, you don't like it? Do you know how many fucking jobs in my 20s, even into my 30s, how many jobs I held? People don't even believe in me when I tell them. I cleaned carpets, I waited tables. I actually waited tables a lot. That was a job that I regularly loved. Every young person I know, it's like, if you always wanna be able to have like money and get a job where you can make money like now, learn how to wait tables or 10 bar. But anyway, um, fucking clean carpets. I sold cars. I sold one and a half cars in my first week on the job. Yes, one and a half because I did the turnover to the finance manager, but he couldn't close the sale. But I still got my spiff out of that. I fucking, God, what did I do? I took care of a paraplegic. I was his driver and washed him and everything, got him dressed in the morning. I did this, I did that. I did. I was a baggage handler for Northwest Orient Airlines, I believe, back when it was Northwest Orient. 
Um, and I quit after the first day. <laughs> Do you wanna know the fucking reason why? I gotta tell you this. The reason why I quit, and I quit for all sorts of reasons, just when I get sick of it, because I said to myself, why would I persist in something that I know I don't like? And this is where I get this notion that I always tell you guys, the path to discovering who you are requires discovering who you're not. I am not the parent that told my kids to finish something out, even if you feel like quitting. Well, I signed you up, so you need to do at least one year. And I'm not against that parenting. I just didn't want to parent my kids that way. What I wanted them to do was trust their gut with the second you fucking know. And that, that doesn't, that's not the same as the second you're having a bad day or a bad week or a bad month. I have bad days, bad weeks, bad months all the time. But I keep doing this work. Why? Because I love writing books. Because I love helping people because I love healing lives. Do I have bad days or down all the time? Sure, but I'm talking about something different. I'm talking about when you sense that this isn't right anymore. I want my kids out of there. You know, back when they were young, I said, quit the sport. You wanna quit? Fuck, quit. Who gives a shit? It's a fucking sport. You don't wanna play the fucking tuba, don't play the fucking tuba. And that way it became optional, but that way they also became the writers of their own, the authors of their own story. They weren't staying in it just for the old man or just for their mom or you know grandma or grandpa. It's like, so then they had to begin to act on their own voice. And at times they would change their mind and they'd go back to something and quit. Nothing wrong with that. So to answer your question, Corbin, you asked the question, I keep wanting to leave at my jobs after three months. What could cause that? I'd say you don't like the fucking job. That's what I'd say. And or, what? but if you want to explore the backside of it, ask yourself, are there fears potentially driving this behavior that are causing me to keep quitting, quitting, quitting? And if there are fears, what are those fears? Or what is the single biggest fear that might be driving that equation? Because if there's something other than the simple fact that this isn't me, this job isn't me, it's found in the fear. But I want to tell you guys the story of why I quit Northwest Orient as a baggage handler on the first day. So I'm down in the bowels of Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport or wherever the fuck they were training us. And uh, I thought it'd be great because I'd be a baggage handler. I get flight benefits, right? I mean, what's not to like? And about... I wanna say about six months earlier, I had left the US Air Force Academy, right? Uh, after two years at the Academy. And at the US Air Force Academy, you know, you study everything from not just military shit, you're getting a bachelor's degree, but everyone there, even if your major ends up being, you know, English literature, English, you know, or, uh, you know, whatever, everything serves a function somehow for the US Air Force. But your every cadet is required to take civil engineering, electrical engineering one, electrical engineering two, aeronautical engineering, astronautical engineering, mechanical engineering. So even though me, you know, and I was majoring in math only because I had been good at it, I didn't know what to tell him I'd do it. <laughs> but I'd been, you know, we had to study all this shit. And I was on track, you know, we definitely have to study aeronautical because, you know, it's the fucking Air Force and all this shit and astronautical, you know, astronauts and space and rockets and shit like that. <laughs> so I get to this job, first day on the job for baggage handler for Northwest Area and Orient. And the guy, really nice guy, he's up front training us. And he says, you know, and just so you guys know, I mean, this we're handling baggage. This is not rock, we're not rocket scientists. And in that moment, I'm like, first of all, I like this guy. Second of all, I don't belong here because I literally was a rocket scientist. That was part of what my studies were. It's like, and I can get physical, I can do the physical labor, I'm all for that, I had plenty of physical labor job, but it just didn't fit, and I knew it right away, and I quit after the first day. I am all for quitting when you know something ain't you, and keep cutting out of your life those things that aren't you. The path to discovering who you really are requires discovering who you're not and having the courage to end it, whether it's a relationship, a job, a friendship, 
a family relationship that's gone sour, a geography. I've had plenty of people say, this geography doesn't work for me. It's whatever on my arthritis, or I'm just so sick of the hustle and bustle, or God dang, I'm so bored of country life, or whatever it might be. It can be geography, but the point is, if it doesn't fit with who you are, if it doesn't resonate inside of you like a string inside a grand piano resonating when you strike that key, if it doesn't resonate inside of you, it ain't you. All right, fine people. This has been lovely, just lovely, delightful. For those of you listening in around the world, thank you so much for tuning in to another lightning round of the Badass Counseling Show. Any closing thoughts today, Rob? Yeah, as the Northwest Orient Airlines slogan used to say, the whole world is going our way. I control the world. The world just follows wherever I go. For one day, you were on the job, yeah. I got the power. All right. So, fine people, on behalf of Rob the Rocket and KC in the booth, I am Sven Erlinson, your host. And it has been great having you here. And on behalf of all of us, have a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day.